Morning, church. How are y'all doing? Few excited people. That's great. You had to move the table, otherwise I'd be talking to Erica's mic the whole time. Well, welcome to week two of our Advent series that we're calling Surrendered. Uh, you know, if you weren't here last week, uh, this series is based on the word for the year that God gave us, which late, late in 2022, uh, our staff and our elders, we gathered together and we prayerfully considered, God, what are you calling your church to in 2023? What, like, what do you have for us? What is the direction, the vision, the, the, what, where, where are you leading us, God? And, and in that in that time of prayer, God revealed to us that he was calling us this year to surrender ourselves to him. And the whole principle of surrender really has been the theme that we've been talking about throughout this whole year. We talked in the, the start of the year, if we can throw up that slide, oh, we already got it. We talked at the start of the year about surrender directly in a series we talked about being surrendered to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled life, looking at what it means to surrender to God with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's our Spirit-filled life series. Then we talked about surrendering in our finances because, you know, finances are one of those areas. We like to surrender to God in things that we can control, but we don't like to surrender to God when it comes to generosity. So we talked about the, gener the paradox of generosity. We talked through the summer about we are royals. We are royalty in God's family and how that calls us to deeper levels of surrender. And we just wrapped up this series a couple weeks ago called Gods at War, where we talked about surrendering the false gods that we tend to worship. Comfort, pleasure, things, family. Things that we use to replace God and how God is calling us to surrender those to him. And really, that's the reason we've come back and we're talking about surrendered through the Advent season. It's to bookend, it's to close off, it's to look at what it means to surrender to God and specifically why we can surrender to God through the story of Jesus. Because you see, I think the, the, the important thing with surrender is to understand it's not about I'm laying myself down for no reason. It's that I'm putting away my desires, my passions, my beliefs. I'm exchanging those for what God says, what God is calling me to do. Why? Because of God's love. It's not an exchange where God's demanding we do something or else. It's an exchange of, I love you so much that I sent my son to be born as a baby to die on the cross so that you might experience the fullness of life that I have for you. And the invitation God has for us is will you surrender? Will you lay down your life? Will you deny your selfish desires? Will you surrender of yourself and give back to God? And really the reason we, we give ourselves back to God is because God is the one who made us. You know, in Luke, I think it's Luke 17, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're trying to trick him and they're like, hey, should we pay the tax or not? And they're hoping Jesus would say no so that they could be like, Rome, 
kill him. And they were also hoping Jesus would say yes so they could be like, hey, Jews, see what Jesus said? See, he hates the Jews. It was this catch-22, and Jesus is like, give me, uh, bring me a coin. And they bring him a coin, and he's like, okay, what does it say? On, whose inscription is on the coin? And they're like, Caesar's. Whose face is on the coin? Caesar's. Notably, the inscription on the coin in the, in, in the Roman language in Latin would have been child of God. For the Jews to carry a coin that said child of God and bore the image of another man was blasphemy. And Jesus says, return to Caesar what is Caesar's. Return to Caesar what bears Caesar's image. And return to God what bears God's image, which is us. See, God is looking for people who will surrender themselves to him who will lay down their desires, lay down their plans, lay down their passions and say, God, what do you have for me? Not that God's going to force you into something that you're going to hate. That's not the point. Point is God knows you better than you do. And he has a plan for you that is greater than you could ever imagine. And so this is why we've been talking about surrender. And, And last week we talked about being surrendered to hope. Just the idea that instead of putting my hope in myself and my plans and my ideas, that I would lay those things down and say, God, I will trust you. In the midst of hopeless situations, we would say, God, I trust you and only you. That we'd surrender to God's hope. And this week, as we can carry on this series, I want to talk about being surrendered to peace. You know, I don't know about you, but I find that I have, as much as I have difficulty at times surrendering to God's hope, I find that surrendering to peace is significantly more difficult. Like with hope, usually there's a point in a situation where I'm like, I'm hoping for something. And let's, 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 say, um, uh, let's say I'm hoping for a new car. This isn't real, but I'm, I'm hoping for something. I'm like, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. And I'm putting my hope in myself. Usually there's a point where it's the breaking point where I'm like, finally, I'm like, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. So I will trust you. It's like, I, I, I'm trying to fix my kids, but I can't do it on my own. So God, I will trust you. I'll put my hope in you. Trying to deal with these mental health issues, but I can't do it on my own. So God, I'll trust you. Usually I find there's a breaking point where, where we'll surrender. But I find personally, and maybe you can relate with this, that surrendering to peace is significantly more difficult. Because once I've finally put my hope in God, I'm like, okay, God, I believe that you will do what you say you will do. Then I'll walk away and I'll start to worry about the details. I can tell you guys need an example. Um, so earlier this year, this is a, the real example. Earlier this year, uh, I want to say it was maybe February or March, God told me that By the end of 2023, we were going to have to hire three new staff here at the church. When God told me that, I, right away, my reaction was, okay, God, I trust you. And I put my hope in God. I was like, God, I can't do that. 
I, like, what am I going to do to make this happen? God, I trust you. So I put my hope in God. But as soon as I put my hope in God, the analytical side of my brain got stirring. How are we going to afford this? To make that happen, we'll need to increase our payroll budget by X amount. You know, churches operate like a business a lot of the time. So there's budgets and there's things we try to manage our money. Well, like we'll have to increase giving by this amount because we're a self-sustaining entity. We don't, government doesn't say, here you go. This is how you operate. That would be nice, but they don't. Um, but and I was like, I started worrying. God, I fully trust you will do what you say, but how am I going to manage this? And it took me probably a couple weeks before God got through to me. He's like, hey, 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 you're putting your hope in me, but why aren't you trusting me with the details? You're worrying, you, you trust that I will do this, but you're stressing out about the details and you have lost your peace. So I had to surrender to God's peace. Say, God, I trust you to do this, and I trust you with the details. And in fulfillment of that word, we actually, we did hire three new staff part-time, 10 hour, five hour, five hour, but to help with kids, um, to help oversee young adults and, and connect, helping people get connected to the church. And we just hired somebody last week to, to help oversee our facility, but God came through. It just wasn't the way I expected. See, peace in our culture we often define peace as being the absence of conflict or violence. Now, in studying for this, this message, I, one of the things I did was I tried to get an idea of what, how does our culture define things? So I looked at a lot of different dictionaries, and uh, across the board, all of them had a very similar definition. And that was that peace means no problems. It's like a peaceful neighborhood is one where there's no crime, it's quiet, there's no kids screaming at 11 p.m., and it's just calm. A peaceful job is one where you're not fighting with your coworkers, where you can do your job without your boss looking over your shoulder being like, are you sure you should do it that way? There's no violence, there's no conflict. A peaceful family is one where the kids are behaving. You and your wife or spouse, doing great. No violence there, no conflict there. But that's often how we define peace, is in the absence of something. But, but what I found in studying for this, this message was in the Bible when it talks about peace, peace is never defined as the absence of something. It's always defined by the presence of someone. You know, in Isaiah chapter 9, we, we read part of this verse last week as well, but this is a, a famous verse referring to Jesus. And Isaiah, he, he writes this passage hundreds of years before Jesus is born. He prophesies what God is going to do, and he describes Jesus this way. He says, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us, Authority will rest upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. 
He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I love this passage because it describes Jesus. Like some, some people will be like, oh, it was talking about Hezekiah or another king. In Israelite culture, to call someone mighty God was blasphemy. Isaiah would not have done that. Only God could be called God. So Isaiah is prophesying about this child that was going to be born, who was the prince of peace. And we see in, in Luke chapter 2, when after Jesus is born, that the angels, they come and they appear to the shepherds in the field. And the angels said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace amongst those whom he favors. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. But notably, the world Jesus was born into had a lot of conflict. And specifically, when I was studying, I believe it was in Isaiah 9, I, I was studying this passage in one of my study Bibles, and, and they, they said that peace in the Bible denotes more than just a lack of war. It encompasses well-being, safety, and plenty, along with good relationships with one's brother, neighbor, and God. Specifically, peace in the Bible refers to existence without fear. And in this time when Jesus was born, at, the, at that period, the world was experiencing something known as Pax Romana, Roman peace, which quite simply was the, the, the Roman propaganda of wherever our nation or wherever our empire is, there is peace. But Rome was always at war. There was always conflicts within the nation. There was always conflicts outside there. Rome was always at war. And Jesus was born into this culture where there was war, where there was struggle, where there was hardship, where there was persecution. He was born into this world where there was actually racism between Jews and Gentiles and the Samaritans. I know it sounds a lot like our world, but, but this is what Jesus was born into. And into this world, Jesus comes and we have this declaration. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But how could Jesus be the Prince of Peace if there's still conflict? Well, I propose to you that his peace looks differently than ours. You know, Psalm 46, we find this, this beautiful psalm. We don't know who it was written by other than we know the tribe of people who wrote it. And we don't know the context for why it was written but it just gives this beautiful description of God's peace, of the peace we have access to. It says this, it says, verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. We'll pause there for a moment because this psalm 
is fascinating in what it's saying. And often we, we don't think about the Bible in terms of the, what the original people would have understood. But, but back in the day, in the ancient Israelite, or ancient Israel in their world, in their worldview, geography and specifically like their, their cosmic geography, their understanding of how the world worked was vastly different from ours. See, in the Bible, God always caters to the scientific understanding of the day. Because he knows if, I, if he was like, oh, by the way, the world is round, he'd be like, what? And so part of our job in reading the Bible is to recognize what God is saying and what is based on what they understood and what the timeless message is. But back in the day, the cosmic geography of the Israelite people, if we could go up to the next slide, see, they believed that the world was flat. It wasn't a sphere. It was basically this island with water all around. And they could prove it. Walk four days that way, you'll see ocean. Walk four days that way, you'll see ocean. Walk 10 days that way, you'll see ocean. Obviously, we're on a giant island. And their understanding was not that the world was round, but that it was covered by this dome. It was this flat world. It was covered by this dome known as the firmament that held back the waters of the sky. That's why the sky is blue. It's their understanding. Obviously, we now know from science, because God reveals himself through creation as well, we now know this isn't accurate, but this was their understanding. But specifically, what they believed was beneath the earth, there were the pillars of the earth. And this was the mountains that extended deep below the, 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 the land and they believed that the mountains, the base of the mountains, held up the land. And these mountains were based in a subterranean deep, the great deep. And what the psalmist is saying, because he says, um, we should not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. They are literally describing these pillars of the earth shaking and shattering. And suddenly, because the idea was basically Earth is a boat held up by mountains. The mountains are destroyed. Now the boat sinks. And this is the context of this psalm that the psalmist is describing the, the a cataclysm. He's describing the end of the world as they know it. It would be like the psalmist if they wrote today being like, we will not fear though nukes rain down out of the sky. Though the, the rain turned to acid and everything dies, though the whole world be covered, covered in radiation, yet I will trust God. Why? Well, it goes on, he says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Again, uproar, totter, all of these things. They're describing the collapse of human society. They're describing the destruction of the world as they know it. In the Old, Old, Old Testament, in their worldview, in the ancient Near East worldview, it was all about chaos 
and avoiding chaos. They believe that the gods created the world and they separated chaos from, or separated something that was put in order away from what was chaotic. And this is describing the fall of that system. And they're like, the psalmist says, I will not fear. Why? Because there's a river. The wording of which describes a stream of peace, peaceful flowing water, bringing life. There's a river. God is with us. God is in that city. We are safe. Though the world is ending, we are safe. Although he's saying, if the world ends, we would still be safe. Because God is with us. Then he finishes the psalm and says, Come, behold the work of the Lord. See what desolations, that word does not mean, it's not as negative as it sounds in the English. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And I love this psalm. Because no matter what happens, if God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is with us, doesn't matter what happens around us, we can be at peace because God is with us. Now in John 16, we see Jesus echo the same idea. The context of John 16 is Jesus has been talking for two or three chapters already and just telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to disappear. You're not going to see me any longer. Um, I'll give you the Holy Spirit who will be with you to help you, but you're going to be persecuted. And at the end of this really uplifting speech, Jesus tells them this. He, he says, John uh, 16, verse 33, he says, I have said this to you so that, you, that in me you may have peace. The verse right before, Jesus says, you will all be scattered each to your own homes. I have said this to you so that you may have peace. That doesn't make sense. In the world, you face persecution. But take courage, I have conquered the world. It's easy for us to look at this and be like, Jesus, you give us peace, but then in the next sentence you say, we will suffer. What gives? Well, the point is, not that suddenly when we believe in Jesus, our lives will be perfect. That would be amazing, but that hasn't happened. That's not the point. The point is that when we believe in Jesus, now God is with us. And so no matter what happens, we can have peace because he is with us and he has conquered the world. You know, in Philippians chapter 4, we find Paul write this, this passage on anxiety and peace. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says this, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love this passage because he says, rejoice, be joyful, be filled with joy. And when you're worried, when you're anxious, what do you do? Bring it to God. Come to God, approach God, bring God your problems. And then when we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Now, I love that word, guard. In the Greek, that word implies will protect with a show of military force. It'd be like if Canada had a powerful military and the states were going to try and attack us and they're going to try and cross the border into Alberta, the implication, if we use this wording in that situation, would be that Canada would plant their entire military there and say, try it. Now, we don't have a strong military, so we don't want them to try that, but... But that's the implication. It's a show of military force to protect, to preserve, to guard. The peace of God will guard you. Not that you won't have anxiety. Not that you won't deal with worries. Not that you won't have stresses and things. But when you do, bring them to God. Surrender them to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart. And then Paul, he goes on, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that passage. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, excellent. I love that. Because all those words throughout the Bible are used to describe God. So part of it is focus on the good. But part of the meaning of this passage is also focus on God. That when we are stressed, when we are worried, when we don't know how things are going to go, when we're struggling with you know, just a lack of peace... Paul is saying we can rejoice, we can celebrate, we can pursue God. And he says, specifically when you're dealing with those things, pray, bring those issues to God and focus on what he is saying and what he is doing. And when we do that, the promise we see here is that God's peace will guard you and God will be with you. So you do not have to be afraid. See, peace does not have to depend on our circumstances. Peace does not have to depend on our perspective of what's going on in our lives. Peace does not have to depend on, on how we think things should be going. And it does not have to depend on, on if we are stressed or not. Because guess what? Life is stressful. You can be the most holy person in the world and you will still go through seasons of stress and struggle. You'll 
still go through seasons where you have a lack of peace. But the invitation that we have is to surrender those situations to God, to give those things to God and say, God, I trust you. God, in the midst of this struggle, I will focus on you. In the midst of wars across the planet, in the midst of, 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 of problems in families, in the midst of struggle, financial issues, God, I will trust you. I will surrender to you. Because you see, that is the choice we all get to make. We can either choose to hold on to our stress and our worry, choose to hold on to this lack of peace in our lives, or we can surrender and receive from God. But the beauty of the God we serve is that when we surrender, He will give us what we need. Situation might not change right away. Things might not shift. Life might not look the way you want it to. But when we surrender, things change. See, the reason that Jesus was born as a baby, the Savior of the world, the reason Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive our sins, the reason Jesus lived and inaugurated the kingdom of God here on earth, it was out of love for you. And through his death on the cross and through his life, we have access to the hope and to the peace of God in the midst of our circumstances. The promise that Jesus is the Prince of Peace isn't a promise that right now there will be no conflict. One day, yes, when the kingdom of God fills the earth and Jesus returns and puts an end to all evil, one day, yes, that will happen. But in the meantime, we are living in the now and not yet but we still have access to God's peace. So the question is, will you surrender and receive his peace despite whatever you're going through? As we close this service, I want to take an extended amount of time for us to pray. Part of this series is, is we're trying to give some space at the end of the services and to, to worship and pray and receive prayer. Because I believe like we're dealing with hope and peace and next week we're talking about joy. And these are things that often we lose in the midst of struggle. And so today as we, we wrap up this service, what we're going to do is going to make some of you hate me and that's okay. You can send me an angry email later. I'm getting on a plane in three hours anyways. I'm not going to see it for a week. But what we're going to do is, just with the people around you, I want to encourage you to get into groups of three or four people and pray together. Now, if this makes you feel like, ah, social anxiety, that's okay. You don't have to do this. I'm just encouraging you to. Band's going to play a song. Feel free to worship and, and praise God if, if you just feel too uncomfortable with that. But, but I would encourage all of us to just get together and pray together. 
So with the people just around you, get into group three or four, or can be a bit larger if you want, it's up to you. But take a moment, introduce yourselves. And if you are struggling with a lack of peace in some area of your life, I would encourage you to share it. You know, part of the church isn't about just my relationship with God. It's about our relationship with God. It's the corporate church. Together, we are stronger. Ecclesiastes says that two are stronger together. And you don't have to share details. You can just say, I'm really, I feel a lack of peace because of my work. I feel a lack of peace because of my family. Or you can go as in-depth as you want. If you're struggling with anxiety or worry or stress or lack of peace, share it. And then just take some time together to pray. Pray for peace in your circumstances. If you don't have a specific circumstance, pray for peace in the world. You know, there's a lot of conflict going on in the world. That's not God's will either. Pray for peace in our city. Pray for peace in our world. But just as the band starts to play, let's gather together and pray together. So Father God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come in power right now. Lord, I thank you that you gave us your spirit and that your spirit dwells within us. But Lord, I just pray that your spirit would descend with power right now in this room, Lord. As people are dealing with, with a lack of peace and they're dealing with just situations and struggles and problems that they don't know how to address and and just worries and concern, God, that your Holy Spirit would come and bring the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I thank you that we don't that we don't have to get prayer from a pastor in order to receive from you, but that all of us are the church that every single person in this room has access to the same Holy Spirit and the same power of God. That we can all pray in faith and see miracles happen. So Jesus, I just pray right now that as we bring our, our struggles, as we bring our hopeless situations, as we bring these areas that where we're lacking peace, God, that you would fill us. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your power, God. As we come together and pray together, that you would do what only you can do. Pray this in your holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. So as the band begins to worship, get into groups of three or four and begin to pray together.